Hello, welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series 7, The Root Vices. This series looks at the seven root vices from which other sins grow and identifies ways we can cut the root vices and become more like Jesus. Today's text is going to be from the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verses 13 to 15. Again, I'm sorry about my voice. It just abandoned me last night. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 to 15. I'll be using the New International Version. It's on your card. But everything you uh, need, including there will be quite a number of quotes this morning uh, as we try and understand what sloth is really about, will be up here on the screen. And you can follow along and follow along in your Bible. So hear now the word of the awesome God. The sluggard says... There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and he is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Now, we've been going through the seven deadly sins, and Many of these we recognize as being something serious. Most of us realize that pride and envy and wrath are not good things. And we even realize that greed and gluttony and lust are a problem. But let's be honest. When you hear of sloth, most of us think, what's the big deal? How would this possibly make the list of the seven deadly sins, the seven root vices. And that's because we really don't understand sloth, so we think it's not that big a deal. So I'm actually going to play a little video right now about the seven deadly sins because it lists how we view sloth. Leave the sound up, Dave. It was said by them of old, avoid all sin. But avoid most especially the seven deadly sins. Pride. Beware of pride, for pride puffeth up the great and causeth the mighty to fall. Beware of envy, envy. for envy robbeth of joy and leadeth to the path of bitterness. But above all things, beware of sloth, sloth. for it is adorable. Avoid wrath, the spark that leadeth to deadly fire. Gluttony. And gluttony, the drunkenness of excess. Sloth. And also sloth, the cutest of all the creatures, which feeds upon twigs, leaves, and the hearts of men. Greed. Greed doth beguile the mighty of spirit, but who cares because sloth? It sucks thy soul to the abyss of cuteness. Lust. L- l- lust. Lust. It doth tempt the hearts of... Okay, seriously. It's so precious. I mean, look out. Uh, uh, uh. Beware the seven deadly sins. Especially sloth, the most adorable sin. So what is the big deal about sloth? It's the cutest of the sins. 
So why would we make a big deal about it? Is it really that big deal? Well, what I hope to help us understand today is what we mean by sloth, and in fact, why we name that animal sloth, really has nothing to do with what the ancient church fathers meant by sloth. And so when we understand it today, I hope that we're going to know what it means and why it really is a big deal. It's not the cutest of the sins, and in fact, it actually does suck out your soul and mine. So let's talk about the problem of sloth. Now, sloth is the most misunderstood of the vices because most of us think of sloth as simply being laziness. It means I like to sit at home on a Sunday afternoon, watch TV, you know, eat some food. What's the big deal about sloth? And in fact, when I looked it up in a dictionary, the very first definition was laziness. But that's in fact not was intended by it. Uh, so if you think about it, this is so ingrained in our culture, the animal sloth that we just saw, we named it that because those animals move so slowly. You can find some hysterical videos where one sloth's trying to steal food from another and it's like the slowest attempt to pilfer food you've ever seen in your life. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Zootopia, one of the funniest scenes in a movie in recent years is where they come into the DMV and we all know how slow things are in the DMV and they come in and what's the animal that represents all the DMV workers? The sloth, because they are so slow and lazy. But that's really not what it was. So what, what are the characteristics of sloth, which the Bible usually uses the term sluggard for? Well, in our text today, we can see a couple of different characteristics. And so we want to look at the symptoms and the root of sloth. The first symptom is actually our excuses. Notice there in verse 13, the sluggard says... There's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is roaming the streets. Now, why is the sluggard saying that? Is there actually a lion outside the house? No, it's explaining, I can't get out. I can't go to work. I can't work in my fields. I can't do what I should because there might be a lion out there. I mean, and if I wander out, then I might get eaten. So better if I just stay here in the house. And sloth leads to excuses because we're attempting to get out of something we're supposed to be doing so we come up with a thousand different reasons but excuses are not sloth in itself it's rather just the fruit if we dig a little deeper in verse 14 we see that another symptom is actually laziness so here the proverb writer says as a door turns on its hinges so a sluggard turns on his bed. What a uh, picturesque idea, you know, or statement here that, you know, like a door just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. We're told that there's something about the sluggard that he just won't even get out of bed, that he's just there. He would just rather stay in bed. He won't get up. He won't labor. He won't work. This is a picture of ultimate laziness. I'm so lazy, I can't even make it out of bed. But what I want to point out is, again, laziness is not really equal to sloth. It's very closely related, but we'll see why in verse 15, the real root of sloth is actually a lack of desire. Notice in verse 15, we're told, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish 
and he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's one thing to say I don't want to get out and go to work and work my hard job. It might even be another thing saying getting up in the morning, but how much labor does it take to bring your hand up from the dish? But see, what they say is when you really get down to the base thing, the slugger's got his hand down in the dish, the food is there, but he so lacks desire, he can't even get it up to his mouth. This is the ultimate picture of a lack of desire. The vivid picture of the root issue in sloth, which is not just laziness, but a laziness that is really rooted in, I just don't even have the desire to try and do what I'm trying to do here. And this is what actually was meant by the root vice of sloth. Now, when we look at this root vice, the actual word in the Greek language was Acadia. In Latin, that was taken over as acedia. And that word actually means a lack of care or indifference. And then it came to actually have the idea of melancholy or almost a depression. Because if you've ever been ultimately bored, you know what it's like. You just get like, ugh, I just don't feel like doing anything. This is what they refer to as melancholy. Not depression like in a clinical depression, but I'm just so bored I can't even figure out what to do. The word's only used a couple of times in the Septuagint, and it's actually used in that, uh, th that sense of despair. In Isaiah where it says that he'll give us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, it actually uses the word Acadia. But where it really got its definition and where we know it from uh, as one of the seven root vices, was from the early church fathers. And the guy that I've mentioned before, the monk who wrote it down, Evagrius was his name, he referred to Acadia as the noonday demon. How many of you know what it's like when after you had a good lunch and then in the early afternoon you're trying to concentrate and you're trying to work and you sound, you feel a lot like the sluggard we were just reading about? It's like, Man, I'm like a door turning on my hinges. I'm going to go back. Evagrius said that's what struck the monk in his cell, and it made him lethargic, and it made them, instead of praying, their minds started wandering. And they started thinking, I would rather be doing anything other than devoting myself to prayer and the Scripture, and I would rather be anywhere in the world than right here in my cell doing what it is that God has called me to do. This is actually boring. And it would strike the monk. It was this noonday demon. Now, this idea was developed down through church history. And one of the best definitions or ideas that goes around sloth was given by Dorothy Sayers. She was a good friend of C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the first women to actually graduate from Oxford. And Dorothy Sayers wrote a uh, essay called The Other Six Deadly Sins. She was getting around, the only one we think of is lust. And she wrote this about sloth. That sloth is the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there is nothing that it would die for. 
That's a graphic picture right there. Do you see what they're getting at? The reason the slugger turns on his bed, the reason he can't even get his hand out of the dish, there's just nothing worth effort. And so we end up kind of like that cute animal, the sloth, but at the root of it, there is a real problem. Life has become boring. And even more than that, as we go back and we're going to look at it, we've been seeing how every one of the root vices grow out of a disordered love. Well, so does sloth. And here's what it is. Here's how I would define sloth. Sloth is a disordered love that does not desire God, his works, or the vocations or callings, if you prefer that term, he has given me, but finds them boring, refusing the effort to love and serve God and others. Sloth, what its real root desire is, God's just not that interesting. What God's doing in the world is just not that interesting. What God has given me to do, I'm like that monk in the middle of the afternoon. What I'm called to do, what God has said, this is what I've made you for. This is your calling. Give yourself to this. It's just not that interesting. There's got to be something. I would rather be somewhere else doing something else other than this. So notice that sloth actually begins with a lack of desire for God, his works, and his calling in our lives. And this is, a, this is why it's a huge issue. It's not a cute little sin. It's really a big problem because rather than sensing wonder as we behold God and his creation and his work, sloth finds all of this boring and it prefers ephemeral, ephemeral novel trivialities rather than weighty eternal realities. You know what I'm talking about? You ever get bored and you find yourself, I don't know, like sitting on your phone and just scrolling through things, and you wake up, and you've just wasted an immense amount of time. Or maybe you've got uh, some device in your hand, and you're just surfing through the channels, and you're just moving, and it all seems so boring. How can that be? There's a God whose glory radiates and fills the universe, and who is speaking and working at all times. And I'm just bored, and just surfing, and just moving, and just staying right on the top. And when sloth takes root, we gather with the church, and we come to a great hymn like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and we sing, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And sloth yawns, says, that's just not that exciting to me. There's just not that much there. I need some trifle to distract me from the boredom that I find with God and his gospel. It's not cute at all. It's a huge problem. Now, sloth, I want you to think and understand, is unique among the root vices, <clears throat> And it's unique for at least two reasons. Number one, whereas all of the other sins are sins of commission, they're things we do. I am proudful. I am 
envious, I express wrath, I lust after something or commit gluttony or I have greed for things. Sloth is not something we do, it's something we don't do. It's, it's a sin of omission rather than commission. Rather than giving myself to God and giving myself to the calling God has given me, I'd rather just stay in my bed and turn like a door on its hinges. Rather than, than glorying in God and his creation and life, I can't even get my hand out of the dish and get it up to my face. Just not worth it. And secondly, it's not only a sin of, <clears throat> I am sorry I'm going through puberty up here. Um, it's a strange thing. I guess I've been so slothful my entire life, I'm 56 and going through puberty. Um, Sloth, unlike the other sins, they are all a passion that is either too much or directed at something we're not supposed to be passionate about. Sloth, on the other hand, is a lack of passion. So it really is distinct from the other sins. So what sloth actually ends up doing if we don't root it out is it undermines our attempts to cut the other root vices and to practice the virtues because that's a lot of work. That's hard to do. And I just, it just, it's not worth it. I'm not that excited about it. I'm kind of bored about this. Nothing is that important. So a man named David Noggle, who wrote a book on what happiness is about, and he dealt a lot with sloth, he said this. Since sloth is right in the middle of the seven deadly sins, it is their hinge point. It makes the other six sins possible. By dethroning God and enthroning ourselves, we can be absorbed in greed and gluttony and lust or whatever else our hearts desire. Sloth, in other words, makes a self-centered, hedonistic life possible. Because resisting that, that's just a lot of work. I just, I can't get enough excitement or desire to be willing to do that kind of work. Because God and his work and my callings are boring, I simply turn in on my own self because about the only thing I might find interesting in the universe would be myself and what I want. And the rigor required to truly pursue God and my vocations is not worth the effort. So what happens is sloth removes any possibility of you and I growing in sanctification. Remember, in justification, God does everything. We are just simply the recipients. He saves us. But in sanctification, the Holy Spirit empowers you and I to put to death these root vices and to put on, to grow these virtues. But friends, that takes effort. That takes work. And sloth says, I just, I, I know God has done it. God has done the work in my hands there in the dish, but I just, I can't imagine doing that much work. So it's a really serious issue. And so this is why sloth leads to laziness. Laziness is the fruit. Because if the desire is not there. Have you ever noticed if you can sit around, any parent has dealt with this with kids. If there are chores to be done, there is ultimate laziness. But if suddenly something that is exciting to them comes along, there is real energy and rigor, is there not? And we can all find effort to do that. I mean, I, you know, when it comes to fixing things around my house, true confession time here, 
I can be very much like the sluggard, but I can remember when it was like, you know, I should change that light bulb that's been burned out for like two months. But I can't quite get the energy for that. But I'm going to go run 14 miles on. <laughs> True story. Because running 14 miles was of interest. Going upstairs and getting the replacement light bulb, there's enough light I can still see. Okay? And you all are laughing because you've all done the exact same thing, haven't you? See, this is what it comes with. So laziness is always built on lack of desire, which is one thing if it's changing a light bulb. It's a whole other thing when my lack of desire is for God and his work and his creation and his callings in my life. Now, how sloth works with my identity, because every one of these root vices, remember, has a misplaced identity. In my misplaced identity, I find God and his works and the vocations he has given me boring and instead, I seek to find my identity in restless leisure, and you might even add in restless work and labor, apart from God. Okay, see, that's what it is. We, the slothful person oftentimes becomes lazy or appears to be lazy because God is boring and they're finding their identity. Your rest and my rest, true rest, is found in God and in his Sabbath. But... I would rather just, I mean, you know, the only thing I can come up with again is surfing on my phone, surfing the internet, surfing on the channels, coming up with some kind of little thing, and it's restless leisure rather than true rest. Because my identity is not being rooted in God. I'm trying to find it in something else. And I would say sometimes that something else is restless work. Because what I'm trying to do is anything to avoid God. That's what I don't want. I'm afraid if it gets quiet in here, then I might have to start answering the still small voice. I might start having to wrestle with who God is, and I don't want to do that. So I either find some kind of crazy, leisurely pursuits, or I can become a workaholic, but somehow I'm trying to find and root my identity in something other than God. Instead of knowing that I was created to glorify and uh, enjoy God forever, and that he's my rest, I seek my meaning and my rest apart from God. That's what I try to do. And this includes my vocations, the callings that God has given me as a Christian, whatever my role is in my family, my job, serving my neighbors. See, sloth always drains my passions for my vocations as well as my passion for God, and it seeks meaning and rest apart from my vocations because those now seem boring. That's why it's the noonday demon. I would rather be someplace else. I would rather be doing something else than whatever it is God has called me to put my hand to, whatever that might be. Rather than being a father, I would rather go out and play golf. Rather than serving my neighbor, I would rather be off tinkering with something. Rather than, than working hard at work, I find reasons to take longer and longer and longer coffee breaks. Because what God has given me to put my hand to is not that exciting. And I'm finding my identity in something other than God and the work. Now, what this means is, let's talk about what are some of the sinful fruits that sloth has. These root vices are so big and so important, not because they in themselves are the worst sins, but because they feed the other sins. So I want you to think about how sloth can work. I have really, in the last two years, as I have been meditating on these seven root vices, this is one of the ones I came in, and just given my personality, I was like, okay, sloth, this is going to be a quick chapter. 
I have come to see this is a gateway sin. Like we talk about gateway drugs in our culture, this is the gateway drug right here. Sloth is a gateway sin for you and I. Because what it doesn't mean, when you think, remember the old Puritan uh, saying that idle hands are the devil's workshop. I want you to think for a moment, how often do you find yourself when you start getting bored and then you find yourself doing something that you don't know exactly how you got there? That's sloth. It can lead to all kinds of sins. The first thing that sloth does is it undermines true worship and it undermines the practice of spiritual disciplines to know God and grow in faith. And what it says is, I know I should get up and I should really get into the Word for a few minutes before I go to work, but there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in between me and my Bible. Right? We can come up with every excuse in the world. I know I said I was going to pray, but... And so it becomes this sin of omission. Rather than drawing my strength from God, which by the way, I now am going to have no power for sanctification, it's cut the root that would give me the power in the first place. Because I just, I can't even practice the spiritual disciplines. Sloth also, another thing it does is it misses or despises God's ordinary work in the world rather than seeing it or being grateful because it's boredom. And so sloth is constantly looking for novelties because just the normal way that God is at work, it just, that just doesn't seem very exciting. I mean, this is just, and you've all experienced this, <clears throat> that relationship. I mean, they were, that person was exciting to me at first, but they're just the same old person. You know, I was, it was exciting. I mean, when my child was born, it was the greatest thing ever, and I'm going to be the most devoted parent ever. And then diaper number 9,212 comes along. And Jesus, there's got to be something else for me. I loved my job. Now I'm bored with my job. Because just the regular, ordinary Every day. But friends, let me tell you, the ordinary is just a description of the way God likes to normally do things. God is not only at work in the miraculous, He's at work in our everyday things. And if we find those boring, we are in trouble because most of life is then going to be boring. Now, the boredom of sloth can also lead us to waste time on trivial things. For some people today, this is social media. For some people, they become news junkies. They can't have a spare moment. They've always got to be seeing what is the latest news. Have you, and have you ever noticed that the news cycle is mainly filled with things that are not worth your time? They're trivial they are things that we won't even remember. Nobody even remembers days or weeks from now. But we, had, we need a constant feed of that stuff. It's why we get stuck. Have you ever noticed, you go through the, the grocery checkout aisle, and what kind of uh, things, do, do they have New Yorker magazine and, uh, you know, magazine or periodical that's really going to make you think there in the grocery store aisles? What, what do they have there in those grocery store aisles? tabloids right it's all tabloid junk because people get bored and we just well I really need to know what that actress is doing what what happened and we know that you know 
she was abducted by an alien, right? But when I'm standing there in the supermarket line and I'm bored, and why do they keep doing that? Because people buy that stuff. That's why they do it. And it just becomes a huge drain and waste on time because how much passion does it take to channel surf, surf the web, uh, sit there and read some kind of a tabloid or waste of time? Does that take any passion or energy? We all know. You go home, I'm tired, I don't have any energy, and what do I hear calling my name? Man, I'm going to sit back and click on the TV. Now, it's not because watching TV is always an evil activity. It's not. But it can become just simply, I don't want to muster the passion to do anything that I ought to do. And this is, this is a passionless desire. If something requires no passion, know that it's probably feeding into sloth. Another thing that sloth does is it takes the path of least resistance. So, it will take trivial entertainment over seeking God. False leisure over true rest. Silly dreams over daily vocation. Do we all like to sit around and dream of what it would be like rather than putting my hands to the wheel? Junk food over a five-star meal. Because, see, these things require nothing of us. But the, the things that actually give us return require an investment to start with. But sloth says, I'll just skip the investment. I'd rather have junk food. I'd rather have some silly leisure rather than true rest. I would rather have trivial things rather than weighty things because to get the value out of the weighty things, to get the value out of the good meal, it actually requires something from me up front. Now, what sloth can then do is it can lead me to embrace other sins simply in the hope that they'll make me feel alive again. When you become bored, you simply want to feel alive. There was the song, and uh, Johnny Cash did it in one video of the year years ago, about hurt, where uh, the guy Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, they were talking about, you can feel so numb, you want to hurt, because pain at least reminds you that you're alive that you know uh, that, that you're alive. Well, sloth can lead you to another sin because I'm simply so bored, maybe this will make me feel alive again. This is why sloth, for example, and its need for novelty, it can undermine long-lasting relationships because a new relationship just seems more exciting than the long-term relationship. And it could even lead, for one example, to cause somebody to embrace adultery simply for the thrill of the new. In other words, somebody might get trapped in adultery not even because of lust, but simply because I'm bored. And I need something to make me feel alive again. And so this thing seems to do that. And so that phrase, it made me feel alive again, is the cry of the slothful who've given in to other sins what it is. Remember a few years ago there was a politician, he was governor of South Carolina at the time, and he got caught saying he was hiking down the Appalachian Trail, and he actually was with a mistress down in South America, one of the craziest things ever, and he said, but she's my soulmate, she made me feel alive again. There's a man whose soul's been given over to sloth long before he gave in to that sin. So, who thinks sloth is the cutest of the sins? 
See, and, and one of the reasons it's so devious is because we know the other things are dangerous. But this seems like it's not a big deal. But it is. So how do we apply the word? What are the ways that we cut the root of sloth and we kind of get that soil changed and we replace it with virtues and practices? So what are the things that are going to do that? Well, number one, the first thing is we have to renew a passionate love for God. At its root, sloth is a boredom and a lack of passion about God and his works. When you get to the core of sloth, to become bored with anything else, you have to first be bored with God, who God is and what he's doing. Laziness is actually just the symptom. It's not sloth itself. Boredom lies closer to what sloth is about. So how do we renew our passion for God? Because we would like to say, well, I'm just going to be passionate for Jesus. But it actually doesn't work that way. This is where the, the problem comes in. So what are some practices that renew our passion for God? First, the daily practice of spiritual disciplines. You can't be passionate about God if you're not regularly beholding him and drawing near to him. When people, you know, well, I just, you know, I feel distant from God. Well, when's the last time you were in the Word? When's the last time you just sat and you talked to God? When's the last time you turned noise off and quietly sat before God and said, speak, Lord, your servant listens? Because, friends, if we don't do that and we don't do it regularly, we won't have a passion for God. But it's not only the daily. Oddly enough, because sloth, we think of it as being laziness, but what sloth does is it replaces true Sabbath with false rest. So another practice that renews passion for God is a true weekly Sabbath of rest and focused on God. See, what our culture has replaced Sabbath with is the weekend, where instead of having a day, we've tried to spread it over two days, but instead of really getting rest, and a rest that includes, because in Exodus chapter 20, the Sabbath is about you getting physical rest, but in Deuteronomy 5, it reminds us that we're supposed to, on that day, focus on the fact that God has redeemed us. And so, when you go through our culture, have you ever noticed how many people show up at work tomorrow and they're more exhausted than they were on Friday? A sure sign there wasn't Sabbath. Because Sabbath is supposed to renew. But to do that, there does need to be a ceasing from labor, but it's done for the purpose. We fast from the work so we can feast on God and His presence. And so I spend time gathering and worshiping with the people of God. I spend time in the work. We used to, when we did this with, uh, when our kids were younger, we referred to Sabbath as it was a time for God, or if you want to keep it all Fs, faith, family, and a few close friends. It wasn't just for all kinds of stuff in life. It was a day where we narrowed down, we rested, and we spent time focusing on God. And we spent time with just a few people and, and our family because that was a time of renewal. And you would be amazed if you will set that aside and not let other things creep in because sloth won't take the effort to keep the gate closed. But see, we've got to just say, no, I'm going to close that gate. And that means on this day, I don't let other things creep in. I just, I just don't let them creep in so that 
I've got time just to rest and relax and focus on God. So daily practice of spiritual disciplines, but also a, a weekly Sabbath. For many of us, what you might need to do, and this is part of what we're trying to do when we do Lent now. Again, please, I, I hope as you head towards Easter, and I've encouraged people to fast from something, I hope it's not like green M&Ms, okay? D don't do something silly like that. Do something that is meaningful. What you might do is fast from trivial pursuits, not the game, but trivial activities that waste my time and dull my longing for God. This is my third or fourth year where I go off of social media for the, the seven, eight, nine weeks as I head towards Easter, which turns out to not be a sacrifice. It actually turns out to be really enjoyable because every time I see something stupid go on in the culture, I'm like, I'm really glad I'm not on Facebook reading all the inane comments right now from people who don't know what they're talking about. But I get off, and it's amazing, because do we not get in the habit? We pull the phone out, and when we've got a few spare seconds, we, we've got our thing we go to. And it might not be social media for you. It might be TV. It might be something else. But think and say, is there something that just fills my time? And when I'm just kind of getting bored, I catch myself just slipping into that rather than maybe doing some scripture memory, rather than uh, praying, rather than spending time in one of the vocations God has given me with the person that's important to me, okay? Cutting that stuff out. Those are all practices that help to renew passion for God, who he is and what he's done. And I want to point out this sounds counterintuitive. The way our culture wants to work, and we've got a wrong understanding of authenticity, we think that the desire has to come and then the practice follows. Friends, it doesn't work that way. The practice starts and then the desire follows. If you're going to wait to have the desire, particularly if sloth has settled in, if you're going to wait to say, I don't want to be a sluggard on my bed, I'm going to leave my hand in there until the desire comes to get it up, then you're going to die with your hand in the dish. It's the way it works. So we have to do the practices, and as you do the practices, God will renew your passion. Second area is we develop diligence in our vocational callings. One of the reasons we struggle and we miss much of what God is doing is we think God's in a few things. Well, yeah, God's there when I read my Bible. And God's there when I pray. And then God's there if I drop this water bottle and it floats up instead of dropping down. Then those are places where God's at work. But see, God's actually at work in every area of life. And for each of us, he's given us vocational callings. And years ago, we did a, a series, you can look it up on the internet, called Calling. And in our callings, I define vocations or callings this way. We all have vocations from God, the specific tasks and responsibilities given to us by God through which God works to serve our neighbors. God wants to use you. That there is not, we, we've had this terrible idea in the church in the last couple of years, you know, where you'll hear preachers say, well, I got the call, as if there's only one call, and I got it, you didn't. That's crazy. I've been called throughout my life. I got saved when I was 16. I took a call 
to go to the Naval Academy and be a midshipman. I took a call to be a Marine Corps officer, and I was no less called as a Marine Corps officer than I am right now. I took a call to be a husband when I made a covenant vow to my wife. I took a call to be a parent when four children came along. I later had a call being a computer programmer, and then I had a call being a pastor. I have a call to love and serve my neighbors that are around me. We've got many, many callings. And in every one of those areas, God is saying, hello, I am here. I want to work in and through you to be at work in the world. And if you and I realize that, it far from being boring, the entire world is the field of God. And he's at work in every one of us. When you get up, tomorrow I'm going to open my scriptures. I'm going to be opening up to Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm going to be studying and getting ready to talk about greed next week. You are going to be going about, whether it's going to school, going to work, taking care of children, doing whatever you're doing. Is God any more at work in me doing my calling, studying the word, than he is in you doing your calling? If anything in you says, well, kind of, then you are cutting off God's work in your life. And that is a sure path to sloth. God is at work. Mom, reading to children, God's at work. Teaching in a school, God's at work. Helping a neighbor, God's at work. He is constantly laboring. God calls for us to work diligently in each of these areas. They're how we serve him, and they are how God serves others through us. Martin Luther said, God answers the prayer in the Lord's Prayer. We say, give us our daily bread. Luther said, he does. By a farmer who grows the grain, by the person who takes the grain that has been harvested and, and transports it by the person who threshes the grain, the person who transports that, that flour down to a baker who bakes the loaf of bread, and then you eat that bread, and God says, I answered your prayer. Through all of those vocations, do we understand God's at work like that? Because if we don't, then we won't be diligent. The slothful are always someplace else. Remember, that's how it started, where they said, you monks are out here in the desert, and you are given over to, to Scripture and prayer, but suddenly you'd rather be someplace else. Can I tell you, even if your vocation was mine and you're a pastor, it's not that every time I have to open the Scripture, I'm like, there is nothing I would rather do in the rest of the world. Oddly enough, it's just like when I was a Marine Corps officer. It's just like when I was a computer programmer. Some days I loved getting up and going to work. And some days I would rather be somewhere else. And that's exactly what the monks faced. Sloth says, I'm not that interested in my vocation. I'm not interested in what God's put right in front of me. I would rather be somewhere else. I'm always thinking about somewhere else. Never giving myself to the task that God's given me right now in front of me. So how do I... What are the practices that will develop that diligence? Well, first, what I do is, and this week in our devotions, we're going to look at this scripture, but Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Paul actually says, do whatever you do as unto the Lord, remembering you are serving him. I love that passage in Colossians 3. When I was a young plebe at the academy, I actually had it on my court board by my door to remind me every day that me making my uniform look correct, me learning my race, me doing everything that I was doing was actually me serving Jesus. 
all my roommates thought I was a complete weirdo. But it was a good reminder. Every day as I had my list of things I was doing and checking, it reminded me, you're doing this because you're serving Jesus. So do everything I'm doing as, as unto the Lord. Remind yourself constantly when you go to your vocation tomorrow. If you need, put a note that says, I am doing this as a way of serving Jesus. That's what he's called me to do. And then secondly, Paul tells us, because you know that the Lord will reward your work. See, sloth and that lack of desire sets in because we feel like, what's the point? I mean, if I do this and I give myself to this vocation, I'm not going to get a reward back. And man, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But know this, this world may not reward you. But God will. He is always faithful to do what he has promised. And what you and I need to live for and keep before ourselves is on that day, more than anything else, we should want to stand there and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you that task and you changed those dirty diapers. I gave you that task. You taught those kids. I gave you that task. You loved and served your neighbor who needed help. You were regularly over there helping them, getting them a meal, doing whatever else they needed. When I put a task in front of you, you labored at it with all your heart. You did it just as if it was Jesus there. Well done. Enter in to eternal reward. God will reward the labor done for him. So I encourage you every day, wake up, remind yourself of that fact. Now what we're going to do is Ryan's going to come forward and he's going to be leading us in communion. And this table is a table of renewal. It's given to renew our vision of God and his glory and his amazing work in our behalf. And it's given to renew our hunger for God and to help us to get off the soul-numbing junk food that fills our soul. See the problem? Have you ever done this? You fill up, you know, little kids and they want to eat junk food before supper and what do we tell them? No, why not? Because that's right, you're going to get full of that now and then you won't have any hunger left for the good food. Have we all been guilty of that? We're going to come to this table Ryan's going to lead us to, and it's a chance to say, I don't want junk food. I want real food. Let's come to the table and feast. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave thanks to it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, let us pray. Help us remember the love that you give us, the grace you provide us, and in return, help us love you more than we have ever loved you before. Fill us up with so much passion and love for you, Lord, that there is no more room for this sloth that we have discussed, 
There's no more room for any of these vices that we might struggle with. Fill us with this passion until you come again. As you get the elements, please hold on to them, and we will take them together. I'd also like to remind the congregation that uh, this table is not just for members of Bay Ridge Christian Church, but it is for those that are believers in Jesus Christ. And for you that might be uh, sitting there and, and struggling and trying to decide whether or not you want to enter into this relationship, this wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ, please, I ask that you, you come and talk to either any of our elders, to Brett, or to myself, and we would love to discuss that with you more. Oh, glorious God, in the well-watered garden, our father and mother cast aside a rightful desire for you, performing a piece of fruit for the unfathomable privilege of beholding you. And we have continued this pattern in our day, preferring to surf the surface of a widescreen world of diving deep in your word, seeking rest in weightless trivialities rather than finding the true Sabbath in your weighty glory. But Jesus longed for you in a desert wasteland, desiring you more than his daily bread. He dove deep into your presence and will, even when plumbing those depths meant he was broken upon the cross. We give you thanks for Christ, and we shake off our sloth to feast upon you. Take and eat. O Father, you are the true fountain for which we are made to slack our thirst. Today we confess that we have often preferred the wells of this world, for they require so little of us. But they have left us more thirsty than when we drank our first drought. They did so because we are made for you, and nothing else can satisfy the thirst for our souls. We lift up this cup, confessing that this is the blood of Christ that has cleansed us for our sins and sloth for things we have done and things we have left undone. And we profess that it is Christ alone that can truly satisfy us. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, we cry out to you to fill us. Fill us with a passion for our Father and his will. Fill us with a longing for Jesus and his word. Fill us with a deep desire for your presence each moment of the day. Renew our desires so that we might labor for you each day. May we find joy in the daily callings you give us, and we may find the true rest in you. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand with me for the benediction. O oh God, show your deeds to, our, to us, your servants, your splendor to our children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. May God establish the work our hands for us. Yes, may he establish the work of our hands, giving us joy in himself and all he calls us to do. Go with the Spirit in God's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.